Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. With these few profound words, we confess that there is a God and that we are not him. We confess that this God is good, that he is our Father who loves us, who made us, and who still preserves us and takes care of us, who guards us from all evil, purely out of his fatherly divine goodness. And not only we ourselves, but but all of creation, both what is visible and what is invisible. This is an article of faith. Notice that we don't say, I understand in God the Father Almighty, or I know God the Father Almighty, but we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And we believe it because the truth is, the majority of our lives, the experiences, our experiences will tell us, uh, show us the contrary. Our experiences will tell us that there is no God. You've all heard the questions before, if there really is a good God, why would he allow evil to happen? Maybe you've heard that in regards to the atrocities being committed right now in Ukraine. Uh, Maybe you've wondered this yourself. Uh, If not about Ukraine, maybe about experiences in your own life. God, why would you allow this this thing to happen in my life? Why hasn't my life gone like I had prayed? Why Why would you take this person from me? This is how we are naturally. Naturally, we believe what we experience. We trust what we can see and experience, what we can perceive. And you will find no shortage of people who hinge the existence of God, or so they say, on their own personal experience. This is why confessing the creed is so necessary, because we do the same thing. We don't believe what God says, we believe what we experience. This is what makes the example of the Canaanite woman from our gospel lesson such a unique and marvelous example of faith, of persistent faith, of faith in God who is good, over and above all the evidence of her experience that would tell her the contrary. The Canaanite woman pleads with Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. A demon is severely tormenting my daughter. She says all the right things, really. This woman is a Canaanite woman. She's a foreigner. She's not a Jew. She has no reason to believe in Jesus or recognize who Jesus is. And yet she calls Jesus the son of David. She recognizes that he is the Messiah, the son of David, sent for the Jews. And she prays, have mercy on me, Lord. She uses uh, this marvelous language, just as we did on Friday night in our vigil. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. And she's praying not for herself, but she's praying for somebody else. I mean, how great is that, praying for other people? She's praying for her daughter. There's no reason why anyone wouldn't want to help her. She does all the right things. 
But Jesus answers her not a word. Then his disciples came and pleaded, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. I I think this is where most people get. Uh, If they believed in God before this, this is where they give up. Uh, Not just when evil happens, but when God doesn't answer. In our men's Bible study on Tuesday, in our book, Christ Have Mercy, we read about the horrible tsunami uh, in 2004 that hit Asia and killed 227,000 people. Uh, One of them uh, who was killed was a Lutheran pastor and his wife uh, who were on a a train uh, near Sri Lanka, uh, the train that was hurled off its tracks uh, by this, this massive wave. After the tragedy, the author of the book, a Lutheran pastor from a different church body here in the U.S., was on his way to Sri Lanka to provide assistance. And in the airport, he met another group of evangelical Christians who were doing the same thing. And they said enthusiastically, our group, our people have told us that they've had great success in evangelizing over there. And the author listened curiously. They said, yeah, Uh, they asked the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Muslims, where was your God in all this? Was he strong enough to save you? Jesus could save you. The author says, inwardly, his blood was boiling, but he smiled politely and went his way. Believe in Jesus and disaster won't happen to you? And how ironic that when he went over there, he soon found other religions were proselytizing with the exact same questions. This is what we call a theology of glory. It's an approach to Christianity that tends to believe that God is a means to an end. Believe in God and God will reward you. Suffering won't happen to you. You won't have evil things happen to you. All you have to do is believe hard enough, do the right things, and pray the most heartfelt prayers. And the result of this is that we tend to minimize difficult and painful things and we talk our way around suffering. We talk our way around evil. We we say things like, well, there's a silver lining to everything. Or when evil happens, we we view it as an accident. We say, well, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Likewise, we then stay away from anything that may cause us pain in our own lives. And often that looks like giving into sinful pleasures, things that are easy. Doing something that's actually hard, but good and productive, like, like going to church or spending five minutes uh, reading uh, my Bible at night, is a lot more difficult than just spending some quality me time uh, or being on my phone uh, scrolling through social media. Those things are easy. But we, send, we, we stay away from difficult things because we too have a theology of glory. However, the correct theology is a theology of the cross that acknowledges the cross, that acknowledges suffering. It acknowledges evil. It has a place for evil. Martin Luther said that a theologian of the cross calls a thing what it actually is. So a tsunami that kills 227,000 people is evil. War is evil. There is no silver lining. Evil is evil even if something hurts. It's not just okay, it hurts. But in spite of all evil, in spite of everything that we see, God's promises always remain true. 
Faith doesn't trust God because of appearance or because of experience. Faith trusts the promises of God in spite of appearance and experience. And yet it's in the midst of these evil things that faith grasps all, grasps all the more unto God who is good and never changing. This is why the Apostle, said, the Apostle Paul said in our epistle lesson, we also rejoice confidently in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patient endurance. And patient endurance produces tested character and tested character produces hope. Another pastor told of uh, someone who, for a long time, refused to pray for a stronger faith because they knew how you got a stronger faith through testing, through trial, through suffering. I don't want to go through that. I don't need a stronger faith. So that brings up another thing. How do you, how do you prepare for this? Well, how do you prepare for trials? If you want to discipline your body, you, you actually have to use it. You know, digital technology can be a great blessing, but also a curse, because it allows us to not use our bodies. If you want to train your body to do difficult things, you, you, have to, you actually have to exercise. And the same is true if you want to train your body to be able to withstand suffering. This is where the church's liturgy comes in. What we do over and over again each and every Sunday is to come together to hear God, to hear God's words to us and for us. It's why we use the words of the Canaanite woman every week. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And why we actually say it out loud. Because note that this isn't just a mental thing. We don't just suffer in our minds. We suffer in our bodies as we pray in the collect in our real physical bodies. So the liturgy is a gift also for our bodies. You know, maybe you've heard, heard this, uh, this excuse, well, I, I don't, I don't want to just go through the motions. Well, fine, but, but we're not just brains on a stick. Going through the motions is actually helpful. It's training. We gather together, we see, we hear, we touch, we reach out, we hug, we embrace, we comfort one another in our trials. Uh, we teach our self-endurance. Uh, we hold our kids in the pews. We teach them discipline and reverence. We kneel. We receive in our hands and in our mouths the very body, the physical, actual body and blood of our Lord Jesus. And we hear that this gifts, these gifts preserve us unto life everlasting. What we do here is not just giving God our time so that God can give us something back. We're not contrary to those theologians of glory on their way to Sri Lanka, expecting God to reward us for our faith. We're not praising God so that we can escape trial. Rather, we are learning how to thank, praise, serve, and obey him when trial does come. The Canaanite woman, remarkably, has this persistent faith. Her suffering has produced endurance. She doesn't give up. She continues to call on Jesus in her trial. And know what she does. She falls down on her knees and she prays a prayer that many of us 
have likely prayed ourselves. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And she's not praying for her daughter anymore, but herself. Jesus seems to have been harsh in ignoring her, but in getting, to this, getting her to this point, she's now actually being honest. She wanted Jesus before to have mercy on her daughter, but the reality was she needed help herself. Jesus knew this. It is possible that she feels some guilt over what's happened to her daughter. We're, we're not told. Uh, but there seems to be some, uh, some failure in this woman for, for caring for her daughter. And so, too, in our own lives, some, not all, but, but sometimes, some of the evil that we experience is due to our own sin. But we hate to admit this, don't we? We hate to admit this. And we love to pray for other people because we don't want to believe we're in any need. This is the same reason why we naturally believe what we experience, because we don't really want to believe there is a God, because that means I am not him. I am not my own savior. Still, this woman knows and believes who God is. He is her savior. So she continues to call on him to do what this savior is called to do, to save. And here she catches Jesus in, her, in his words. He says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet the dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She clings to his words. She knows he is the Savior. She knows he is called to save, to redeem the world. She knows God is good. She might not know how God is going to help her, but she does know that he will. Purely out of his fatherly grace and mercy, he will do what is good for her. Her experience doesn't tell her that, but Jesus' words do. She is content to receive just some scraps from Jesus' table, because even scraps from Jesus' table are worth more than anything in this world. So Jesus answers her, Woman, your faith is great. It will be done for you just as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. Faith is the gift that God gives you to be able to hang on to his every word, to trust him when it feels like everything in this life is falling apart, to believe him despite all evidence to the contrary. God may not save us from all of our problems. Rather, he teaches us to look through these problems and believe that his promise, to believe his promise that he will deliver us from all evil. Yes, war is evil. Yes, death is evil. But the most evil thing of all is to be handed over to Satan, to be eternally separated from God. And so war and death may actually precisely be the way that God delivers us from this evil one. And this gets us to what the prophet Isaiah declared in our Old Testament lesson. Only in the Lord they will save me. Only in the Lord is their true righteousness and strength. To him they will come and be ashamed, all those who were angry at him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel will be justified. They will be praised by him. They will be praised by God for their faith. 
Outwardly, believers in Christ may escape no more trials and difficulties than, any, than anyone else uh, in this world, anyone who trusts in idols of wood, gods who cannot save. But true deliverance from evil is to be justified, to be delivered from the evil of my own heart, to be forgiven, and to be promised an inheritance where there will be no crying or pain or suffering. The answer to the question, how could a good God allow evil to happen, is the cross. There, the worst evil of all history was carried out knowingly and intentionally. And yet, what do we call that day? We don't call it Evil Friday. We call it Good Friday. The theology of the cross finds God hidden in suffering, in the cross, hidden even in evil. It sees God as he actually wants to be seen, as the one true good man dying for an evil world, dying for you and me. Where is God when evil happens? Where he always is, in Christ, in suffering, in the cross, for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.